NZ Aerosports, Icarus Canopies, now Gyro. That's right, we've rebranded, and Gyro is our next generation. It honours our founder, as that's the name we knew him by, but Gyro also marks the start of a new chapter. And not to be biased, but it's going to be fucking epic. Long story short, we're more us than ever. So if you're new to the sport, or even a Sky God Ninja Turtle, welcome. I think our valiant leader Lucy, Gyro's daughter, Says it best. And we still got that fuck your attitude. <laughs> Rebrand! Woo! Rebrand woo indeed, Lucy. Anyway, head over to gyro.com for more info and get amongst your legends. I was 19, broke, unemployed, and sold my girlfriend's canopy for drug money. So, I thought I'd better sell her a new one. What a sentence and what a story. This describes the humble yet outrageous beginnings of NZ Aerosports, the home of Icarus Canopies, in the words of our founder himself. From getting a paratrooper toy from his mom, watching parachutes at the DZ as a six-year-old, jumping off the wharf with a parachute made from bedsheets, doing his first jump at 16, sewing his first canopy on a borrowed machine at 19, and starting to sell parachutes out of a garage in 1986, Paul Gyro Martin had an undying love for the sky. Our company started with one man with the wildest of spirits in a true blue sky dream, a renegade. In the time that Gyro created and ran the Icarus Canopies brand until he passed away in 2017, he pushed everything he had to its limits. We miss him and we always will. Gyro is the next generation of NZ Aerosports. It honors our founder, of course, because it was the name we all knew him by, but Gyro the rebrand also marks the start of a new chapter, our next jump. Gyro is the space between sound and silence, art and science, chaos and calm. Gyro is a state of epic tranquility that transcends understanding. That moment, in the door, in free fall, mid-swoop, where nothing but the present exists. A perfect balance of euphoria and thrill. Gyro captures our passion for flying and our commitment to designing break-the-fucking-rules canopies that deliver pilots pure, wild flight. Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go! Alright, once again we are back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. I am the fucking pilot, and once again, the magic of the internet's doing me some big favors, and I got somebody else a long distance on the line to talk to me. Uh, so tell me, who the fuck are you, and what do you do? <laughs> What's up, man? Uh, <laughs> my name is Mike Wittenberg-Dean. Oh, um, yeah. And I've been uh, jumping for a little bit, for a while, and flying in tunnels, and speed riding, and... Yeah, jumping out of shit, doing and it. off of shit, and in shit, just flying. <laughs> yeah, that's some cool stuff. So you do the, the pretty much the whole gambit of air sports, really. I mean, uh, um, the speed riding stuff. I only found out that you were into uh, via um, you know the magic of Facebook and all that stuff. Uh, but you've mm -hmm. been skydiving for quite some time now. When did you start jumping? 
um, I think it's probably about 20 years ago, maybe. I don't know, like uh, 16,000, well, probably around 17,000 jumps now. Wow. But uh, yeah, I don't, I think it's probably got to be close to 20 years. If I had one of those uh, USFPA cards, what it says it on there, but I always tend to lose them. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, and if you're anything like me, it's gotten to the time now where I'd like to forget how long it is. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. We've been in my body. While. My body hasn't forgotten, but uh, right. Well, I don't know about you. Neck. I mean, you tell me. Do you still feel like a fucking eighteen-year-old? Because I do. Um, I feel. You know what? It depends. It's. It really kind of depends on how much time I'm in the tunnel at different points, because that tends to uh, flare everything up. Like I was just in the tunnel for like a like an hour the first uh, time, and. Uh, it kind of uh, reminds you of neck injuries and stuff like that. Oh, so. yeah. Oh, well, I mean, no. When it comes to pain and stuff, fuck, getting out of bed hurts me. I don't have to spend an hour in the tunnel, man. I I, uh, I, well, I think a year and a half ago, I broke my foot walking down the street on flat ground and flip-flops. So I'm a mess. <laughs> Physically, yeah. mentally, I still feel like a kid, though. Yeah, definitely, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. it's... Uh, I feel like, yeah, I, I could say I feel like I'm on my kids' level. Sometimes yeah. they, I, I sometimes they take care of me a little. I wonder who's taking care of who more. Oh, mine's dramatically more, uh, more grown up than I am. Thank goodness. Yeah. Thank goodness. So <laughs> yeah. how'd, you, how'd you get started in skydiving? Where was the first jumper or in air sports or extreme sports at all? Um, it was actually at, uh, I want to say it, it wasn't CSC cause it, it used to be Chicago, Chicago land. Andre, when Andre owned the, the place. And this was in Hinkley, uh, Illinois, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I went out, I was just, I was, uh, I used to snowboard, uh, semi-professionally. Oh, wow. Um, and, uh, yeah, I lived in the the mountains a long time and, uh, I was like 26, which was old for snowboarding at the time. And I had been broken a whole bunch and, uh, I was just kind of getting sick of going through the, uh, injury from season to season. Sure. And a buddy asked me to do a tandem and I like, boom, like as soon as I I put down my card right away and was just like, AFF, let's do it. Nice. So. Nice. That's actually pretty much how it happened with me. I kind of started late in the sport too. I don't think I did my first jump until 26 or 27. Um, so a bit of a late start, but uh, both you and I, I think, made up for the time. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so you kind of went, you went balls out as soon as you made that first jump, huh? Yeah. Well, and it was, well, it was also good to start late too, because I had money, you know, like I had, uh, I already had a job that, uh, you know, I, I had started a landscape business that uh, was the whole goal was just to always have my winners off. And uh, so when I, you know, I was already three years into it. So if I would have started when I was 19, I probably would have been, you know, on a packing floor just trying to scrape for jump to jump. But I was just able to, you know, jump as much as I wanted to right off the bat. So wow, man. Was, uh, that makes nice. A- Big damn difference. Well, and I suppose, yeah, having a, a landscaping job in the Midwest, you definitely have your winters off. Yeah, that was the whole point. I was like a snowboard, you know, since I was 12, I was into snowboarding and I graduated high school early and moved to uh, a location in Wisconsin that had a half pipe and just, I would come back for the summers, but I always wanted my winters. Like I just, and I was, that's probably one of the smartest things I think I've ever done because like at 17, I knew that. And to this date still, I'm taking my winners off in France, <laughs> you know, so Man. nothing's that mindset since 17 hasn't really changed. That actually clears up a whole lot of questions I had for you. Cause I got to admit, I keep watching Facebook going, how in the fuck are they there in 
this location and that location, doing all this cool shit. I'm like, man, how in the hell do you take an entire family to France for that long? How? Now I know. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, yeah, definitely been lucky with uh, the business. But um, yeah. And then, well, with the kids, you just got to bring them wherever you want, man. You just got to, you got to, you either, you're going to let the kids dictate your life or you're going to take them where you want to go. Sure. And I've I've always kind of, (laughs) and when like Kaylee was, you know, two months old, it was the bar. <laughs> you know, we, we had a baby at the bar. But, you know, like as they get older, it's just like, okay, well, you know, I only got, you know, 10, 15 more years to go run around and throw myself. And, you know, like, I don't want to just sit there and let, you know, just be home for the kids and, and live for the kids. And I, and I think it's, uh, paid off and how our kids are how well-rounded they are yeah man i mean i think the old mentality of as soon as you have kids you need the white picket fence in the house and the structure that idea is has proven to be wrong so many times now and some of the most amazing well-educated well-rounded people i know were children of fucking vagabonds that are just all over the place and very worldly individuals and i can't imagine a better education than learning um french culture in France or, you know, learning about anything by going there and seeing it and doing it. I mean, fuck me. What a great education. Yeah, it's been good. I mean, it's like any relationship though, right? If you have, if it's a one-sided relationship where one person is just totally catering to, uh, the needs of the other. And then you look at (laughs) not to get too, uh, like deep or anything but when you look at like america or you know anything in general like people just stop their lives for their kids and it's like you know that that relationship doesn't work you know you need to it needs to be a give and take i agree uh, I agree. And it's, um, I've always had a, a long distance relationship with my daughter and, and, uh, her mother and stepfather do extremely well for themselves and take amazing care of her. So, um, I always kind of made it my job to be the one that uh, took on the adventure side of things, which has been super cool for me because mentally I get to stay an infant, um, yeah. and drag my kid around the world and, you know, piss off to Italy or go on safari in Africa or throw her out of airplanes. And so she gets all the needs met because she's, got the house and the white picket fence but she's got the crazy dad that wants to run around the whole planet and do cool things with her so yeah yeah i mean it's i i can't see uh having a better you know way to go yeah so for sure so how'd you start working in this sport if you were just jumping all the time i mean you ended up making skydiving pretty much your whole life before the kids and everything yeah um well i was i had was into comp- I mean, from snowboarding, I guess I was, I was into competing. So, uh, man, I was lucky enough to, uh, my first teammate I had at 300 jumps and we did jump 300 to Matt Flache. Um, we did 300 to like 4,000 jumps together. Oh, wow. And, and we, and, but we were like super, uh, like I always see some people take a path and I looking back on it, I think that was the smartest path because all we wanted to do was train and we just wanted to train with each other. Like literally. So we started competing at USA nationals, like the first, I think maybe the second year we did skydiving oh, wow. and he had a, he had a good job too. And I mean, I remember we went to Roger Nelson and, uh, you know, we were like, we want to do a thousand jumps. You know, we went and got a, t- we lost to, uh, uh, anomaly and uh, Stevie and Trent who were super good friends with, but we were like, we're going to beat those guys. And uh, we, uh, we, so we went to Roger and we're like, we're doing a thousand jumps this year. And we negotiated the price and then we didn't have to, 
you know, we didn't have to look for somebody to jump with, find somebody. We just jumped like 20 jumps a day, wow. you know, like, like right from the get go, we were just jumping like crazy. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I did after that, as soon as I think the first year I had like 200 jumps, like including AFF, then it went to 700 and then it was like 1300 and then like a thousand jumps Wow! minimum for the next like 10 years or something. So competition uh, was your big drive. Yeah. And it, which was weird. It was, it wasn't really the, uh, winning of medals that I really cared about. It was just getting better. It was just, it was just training, you know, like it was never any, uh, it was, ne- it was never anything but just wanting to get like better, you know, better yourself, you so know, you, so it was. You were gauging your performance on past performance of yourself, not on the performance of others. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. You know, and it was back then it was a three-way artistic. So, I mean, I mean, the first year, go- first couple of years going into it, you know, we were kind of like, yeah, let's, you know, we wanted to win, but then you kind of realize like you just want to create stuff and, uh, you know, because it's, it's artistic. So like, I mean it goes all the way full circle back to tunnel and stuff like that. Like at some point, like, you know, you got to do stuff for yourself. Sure. There's going to be a panel of judges and they're going to judge it. And you know, that's, that's that. But as long as you're progress, as long as you're able to train uh, and get better than that, that was kind of the drive. Wow. So you, you really did kind of have a unique time in the sport just because you were able to go straight into competition. You were already self-sufficient. So you didn't do the packing mat. You didn't do the, the, uh, the, are you a tandem instructor? Uh, no, I never did it. So I actually didn't. Never trucked yeah. drugs, n- n- not AFF either. I think my I got my AFF after I was already on Mandarin when I did it. Uh, only because I think when we were training on Man- Mandarin, so this was after like the four thousand jumps or whatever. Right. Um, I uh, Mandarin was training in uh, man Massachusetts in Jumptown, and. Uh, I, we we were training once a month and, you know, like, again, it went back to like, well, I don't really want to, you know, just do, you know, like all we had done was train. So I didn't want to just do fun jumps or whatever. So we, uh, so I was like, yeah, let me do AFF. And it was really, I did it with Biff Bullen and it was really fun. It was like the funnest summer ever because we were just (laughs) clowning around the whole time. It was really great. Awesome. Awesome. But I mean, that really is kind of a unique entrance to the sport because most of us, I was lucky enough that I didn't have to do the packing mat, uh, but I certainly had to start shooting video and and eventually chucking drogues uh, to be able to stay, you know, at the full-time skydiving level. There's not too many people that can say they're full-time hardcore skydivers that didn't really work in the sport. Yeah. Yeah. After Mandarin, uh, all the other teams had got onto, like, it was definitely everybody was full-time professional, but me, like I was working my landscape company and everybody else was, you know, but it was still, I mean, it was crazy. You know, like I look back on it and I was like, man, what was I, cause I would get up at like six, do go to the business till one and then drive out, knock out 10 jumps on Wednesdays, come back do two, you know, like, 14 hour days at the company drive there all weekend do 50 jumps on sunday i mean there were there was never a day off it was either jumping or where i mean it was just non-stop I, I remember being jealous of some of the uh guys on my team because it like come monday they'd like you know it'd be like they wouldn't do tandems till like 10 a.m and i'd be like man i you know like i haven't not gotten up at you know early in the morning for six months wow 
Yeah. No, I mean, I don't think either route's uh, easy, but that definitely sounds like a hell of a lot of work. I mean, you had real-world responsibility. Not that, you know, chucking drogues or, or shooting video or AFF isn't real-world responsibility, but it's still, it's in the community. It's in the life, so it, it doesn't feel real, I guess. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So having a having a real job and, and uh, playing normal and being part of skydiving, um, were you a pretty tight part of the community or were you just a bit of a, a tourist when it came to bonfires and hanging out and all that stuff? I spent too much time at those bonfires. Nice. <laughs> yeah, nice. yeah. No, for sure. I mean, when I was young, we were, you know, more wild. Definitely with the kids, you know, like it started to, uh, I don't know. I mean, you know. <laughs> I've done my fair share of partying. Let's put it put it that way. Fair enough. Fair um, enough. Well, yeah, I, you know, it's I don't know. It, with the kids, it became a little easier, you know. Like it, it just as you know, man. Like as you get older, your body just does it, you know. Like yeah, I haven't seen a two a.m. Oh no, night. You know, now like I haven't seen an eleven a.m. Oh night. no, but no. yeah, back back in the early twenties, of course. My my greatest talent when it comes to any of that is ghosting, man. I'm fucking amazing. It just dis. Where's Dean? I'm just going. Yeah. I have a lot yeah. of fun, and then something in my body says, you will regret this for a week if you don't leave now. For sure. <laughs> and the key is not to look back. If they see you walking away and they go, hey, where are you going? You just put on your blinders. Don't turn your head. Just oh, yeah. keep walking off the darkness. Don't <laughs> acknowledge it because if you do, yep. you're fucked because then it, they make it their mission to make sure you're the last one away from the bonfire. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. I've had that happen as well. Well, so when you were into all of that, what drop zone uh, were you hanging out at most, or were you bouncing around a lot because you were competing? Um, no, I was at uh, we we started competing at SDC. So pretty much the whole t I'm trying to think if I did a year. No, the first year I competed was at SDC. So we stayed at SDC for I was there for eleven years, okay. maybe ten, yeah. something like that. So and then I would also go down. I would go down to Z Hills in the winter and organize, uh, back in the total body pilot day. So like I spent five winters in Z Hills cool. and, uh, like I, it must be like seven or 10 or something like that at STC. I was on, I think maybe three or four different teams wow. throughout the course. Well, that was definitely the migration route was to, you know, hit the Chicago land area and then head, uh, um, South for the winter every year for a lot yeah. of people. Yeah, which was mm -hmm. really cool. Um, the, yeah, it was super cool. The four years that I spent out there, I think uh, um, I spent a couple of wayward years on the road with uh, the CSC Twin Otter uh, that were less than perfect uh, winters. And then I ended up pissing off to New Zealand, which was another popular spot uh, for a lot of the Chicago guys. I know uh, Steve and Jenny Verner, who were at uh, yeah. um, Scott of Chicago for a long time, would go to New Zealand every year. Uh, and that was yeah, cool. And like. Yeah, Cicerelli and didn't I think Kenny spent some time out there too, huh? Like, yeah. yeah, they all went out there. Yeah, yeah New Zealand's amazing, huh? That's yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, I was with Cicerelli for one season, um, jumping <laughs> on the beach with ballistic blondes over uh, over Paihia in New Zealand, and now he's full time in Australia. He's fucking Australian citizen. Is he really? Yeah, man. Yeah, I really enjoyed Cicerelli. He's a super cool dude. He's a dude, man. <laughs> Not the Cicerelli. How you doing out there, Dave? <laughs> Yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh, very, very cool. Yeah, a lot of people did that uh, bouncing back and forth. And, uh, yeah, I lasted four years doing the, the winter to summer thing, and then I just couldn't – man, I couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> it just yeah. got, Chicago got to be too much, especially when you were a, a paper load or a paper jump. That feast or famine, man, it got fucking rough. 
Yeah, it was with the weather. It's insane, huh? Like, oh. I mean, how are you gonna do? Like, I, trust me, that I I haven't even thought about jumping yet, just because like I I try to limit time on the DZs, you know, and just the weather the weather forecast is yeah, just man. brutal. Well, we were talking before we started recording. I was just out in the Midwest in uh, Chicago and Ohio, and and the weather went from pretty nice to fucking balls cold. And you said it's even worse now. Yeah, yeah, it's awful. I'm looking out the window. It's, it's the middle of May. Horrible. That's yeah. Oh man, I remember coming back to CSC after a winter on the road with the otter, and praying, please let the weather be good, because my bank account is empty. I'm 20 pounds lighter than I was when I left. Um, and you get back and it's that kind of weather, and you're just stuck. Oh yeah. Oh man, I well, and I talked to uh, uh, to Rook Nelson for a while as well, and and uh, he said the same thing. He's like, yeah, Midwest is tough, but I'm in a good spot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he had posted a picture on Facebook of a, a nice sunny drop zone and, and green green grass, and said it's good to be on the south side. Was the caption? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> still, still. Well, now you you guys have got the tunnel basically in your backyard where you're at now, though, don't you? Yeah, it's super sick. Yeah, it's 12 minutes uh, from the house. So a uh, 12-minute drive. So it's, uh, yeah, it's super nice. Man, did you ever think, well, when did you start flying in tunnels? <laughs> I used to go to, uh, well, I started in Orlando a little bit, but not much. I wasn't a tunnel flyer. Um, when we started doing VFS is when I uh, I went out with Selwyn facey and uh, <laughs> in New Hampshire. So we went to New Hampshire, and then the VFS team, what was that? Uh, Mandarin. We went. We started in when Paraclete first. I was just telling somebody that the other day. Like we were at Paraclete before they were open, so they were just putting in drywall mm. and stuff. And uh, Denuncio let us uh, train as they were, you know, with like Punisher, and uh, he was like they were just hiring their staff. It was before they opened doors, so we were training in Paraclete uh, starting out. Wow. Uh, back back then. Wow, that's very cool. That's very cool. I've but actually... I remember being, uh, sorry, no, uh, I remember being super jealous of Arizona. Like I, it drove, it just drove me nuts that I didn't have a tunnel in Chicago. Like it really did. Like because, and that goes back to like the training thing. Like I don't really care about medals. Like I was watching people get better than me flying. Right. And Chicago just didn't have a wind tunnel. Like I, it drove me nuts. Like I was like, yeah, we were winning medals in VFS, but like. Selwyn and Derek, you know, were just flying better than us because they were at a wind tunnel. And it just, I hated the fact Chicago didn't have a tunnel. Like, it drove me insane that, like, you know, like, I didn't care about the metal. I cared about the fact that the sport was passing me by. Yeah, no doubt. Um, well, and I couldn't do anything about it. Well, especially with as, as uh, high-end competition as you are, for sure. Um, I, I actually, uh, I started out as a wind tunnel instructor in the old Vegas tunnel. Um, which nice. if you've ever been in that tunnel or in the Pigeon Forge one, it, it's completely not, <laughs> not a wind tunnel by today's standards. It's an amusement ride. It's a really fucking fun one, but it's an amusement park ride by comparison. And, uh, so when the big tunnels came out, the first one that I ever got a chance to fly in was the Paraclete one. And I almost broke my fucking neck with Selwyn Facey actually in the tunnel with <laughs> me. Uh, and uh, Selwyn, I'm, I've apologized on every podcast I've talked to you about. Sorry. He, he'll understand that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, um, Selwyn won't care. No, no. He's busy, he's busy chasing chickens in his backyard. <laughs> oh, God, I love that guy. He's such a character. 
So and face yeah, is sure. is definitely. I met him at uh, um, Cross Keys back in uh, late 2003, 2004, uh, and uh, he made a hell of an impression he always does <laughs> so yeah for sure so you you start flying in the tunnel uh, a little bit late in your sport but i mean you went on to you know i mean just just dominate in the tunnel um i don't know i would say like i've always felt like i mean we did vfs so like yeah i mean vfs flying but it, it wasn't really tunnel flying so uh when we got to dubai and we started to uh yeah, I mean, we won a lot on the VFS team, but, you know, you need to be at a tunnel to, you know, learn to tunnel fly. Sure. And uh, we just weren't there because we would we would go, uh, you know, we would do camps and, you know, you'd just be flying static. Sure. So when that was actually a huge part of where it was the reason why I went to Dubai, you know, like it, it was just because I was on a team, we were winning medals, but I knew deep down inside, like people were passing me by and it's just, like I said, I, I don't care about a medal. I just wanted, if I was in the sport, I wanted to progress. Sure. And, uh, Dubai had the opportunity to progress, you know, well, like it had the, and the, the opportunity to keep flying. The level of skill has just gone through the roof. We've talked about it on, on previous podcasts that uh, the tunnel has just changed the whole fucking game, uh, in such a major way. Um, and I, I can't think of any a single negative to it other than, you know, I mean, people will use the argument that uh, the wind tunnel doesn't teach the basic skills some skydivers need in the beginning. And I agree with that. But other than that, the tunnel's fucking incredible. I mean, I, I still watch in awe what people are doing in the tunnel and I'm just completely blown away. And I've had the opportunity to see you and one of your teams perform quite a bit, both in the tunnel and in the sky. And it's it's just it's awe inspiring. It really is. And I mean, you've how many hours do you think you've got in a tunnel now? Um, I don't know. We, we spent a lot of time in Dubai. Me and me and Mike, I used to, uh, in the private tunnel, we would, uh, I mean, I remember just like laying on the, the bench, like just like, <laughs> watching Micah just lay in the air. Like, let's see how long we can just lay in the air, you know, and just, and then he'd get out 20 <laughs> minutes later and I just roll in. Cause we'd be so, you know, tired from uh, flying, you know, done. as much as we wanted. Yeah. yeah we you, used to just turn it on ourselves. It was pretty cool. You know, you're doing a lot of flying when the only reason you're back flying is because you physically can't fly on your belly anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you, for sure. you can't sit fly anymore. So you roll to your head to give the, the muscles a break. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So you ended up out there for quite some time. And what was the team you were on in Dubai? Uh, it was Mock. Tomb. So, Mock Tomb, uh, you guys were like a. I mean, you, you guys kind of set the benchmark for quite some time. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. Man. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, that was our goal. I mean, like, we kind of like, I remember me and Mike always had a goal. Like, we wanted it to, uh, we wanted what we, what we did to last for 10 years after we were done. And I think, I think it might, you know, like, I think it's, uh, you know, I think it's going to last a lot longer than that simply because a lot of the things that you were doing that were groundbreaking at the time have now become standard fare. Like it's almost uh, you need to learn to do this, this, and this in order to move further on. And the this, this, and this is all the shit that you guys were figuring out. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's definitely takes longer to figure. I remember one time we did like it was when we were doing six way um, and we were really trying to do like a, a six-way layout in the sky <laughs> which you know like and we we finally nailed it and we were all like so happy and then we're like 
yay, we did a half eagle. <laughs> it took like a hundred <laughs> jumps to do, but I mean, it was, you know, like, but it was really hard to do. So. Sure. Well, I remember watching you guys roll out of one of the planes. I was flying with a big fucking bungee cord just because you wanted to try and do something different. Yeah, it was cool. We got to experiment basically, you know, like we, we got to the point where we had checked off all the dynamic stuff that we wanted to like, basically like at the time, you know, tunnel flying wasn't being done in the sky as much so we basically wanted to like check every type of like sure. line mixer layout in the sky and then yeah and then also just create different stuff so it was it was cool and it for coming from you know like going back from a uh, a team standpoint of trying to chase medals like for me that was like the perfect uh like icing on the cake like I'd been in the sport for a super long time so it was a nice way to end it you know just having kind of like free range sure. to uh well, I, sure. I kind of likened Maktoum as a team to, as an individual, Ray Kubiak. Um, Ray Kubiak, in my opinion, was one of the trendsetters in modern tunnel flying for sure. Um, for sure. You know, I mean, he was the godfather of a lot of the fucking crazy shit that I can't even begin to understand. And you guys as a team were the same thing. Watching you guys as a team doing the shit you were doing was just like watching Ray on his own in the tunnel going, what the fuck did I just see? It was amazing, <laughs> but holy shit, how did they do that? Um, so it was really cool, but it was neat that you said, uh, um, transitioning tunnel and trying to do tunnel moves in the sky. How hard was that? Because it's not a direct correlation. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't translate directly. Yeah, it doesn't. And there's a lot of tricks that we picked up. Like, it's like one of those things, like, yeah, you, if you, like, if I go to events and stuff and, and kind of like tell the little tricks we picked up, then, uh, then it, it becomes easier. But yeah, like when you're trying to figure it out, it's definitely a little more difficult. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, so by the time you got onto Maktoum, uh, you'd already met your wife. Yeah. And did you have both kids at the time? Yeah, for sure. Very we were uh, four, five and five and seven, I think. So that must Maybe have four been, and six. That must have been a hell of a decision to make. I mean, all right, we're going to take the entire family from you were living in the Midwest at the time. Yep, I was living in Chicago. You're going to pick up from Chicago, take the wife and two very small kids, and you're going to move all the way across the world to the sandbox. Yep. Wow. What kind of conversation was that like? Uh, it was pretty, uh, you know, I tell people, the, you know, I tell people this all the time. Like, I did, I was, I wanted to get better at skydiving. Mm. Like, I, like, I, even though I had already won national championships and stuff uh, on the VFS stuff, like, it was, you know, like, I think, I remember Steve Curtis said something, you know, like some guy was like bitching about, oh, well, this team sponsored and, you know, like, how am I ever going to compete with that? And they get free jumps and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, you can quit your job and do it. Right. You know, it's either it's either important to you or not, you know, like, oh, this tunnel doesn't allow this or this. Well, you can move halfway around the world, you know. Don't don't tell me you can't because I did. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, like you can either do it or complain about other people having opportunities to do it. But if you don't do it, then that's not my problem. That's yours. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, where there's a will, there's a way. And if if you're not getting it done, you didn't want it that bad. Yeah, just, and that's all there is to it. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, um, what was the was it a, a group decision or did you just sit down with Julie and go so? <laughs> I was thinking about moving to Dubai. Well. 
you know, like people had started to go over to Dubai and like start telling stories about like, you know, yeah, they're flying as much as they want, you know, like they were, you know, and I think realistically, like I was just looking for a change. Like I'd been, uh, I was looking for a, I mean, I really was just looking for a tunnel somewhere. I like, I would remember talking to somebody from like Orlando, like, dude, I'll go down to Orlando in the winter and fly. Sure. Uh, and then I went over there and, uh, yeah, I mean, and then like, it was a way better deal than, uh, you know, once you go over there and at the time Dubai was, uh, re- the skydiving was really growing. Huh? So it was, uh, I mean, it was a no brainer. Like it was a no brainer. Like you just had to go, you could, I could see the opportunity. And, uh, with the talks I had from the, the people in charge and, uh, like it was obvious that you could go create and continue to, uh, do, you know, continue to push, sport well which is amazing well and your yeah. your decision to to go there also kind of took your passion and spread it out across the family didn't it did it not yeah i mean it was good for julie i mean julie, my wife julie's a uh, skydiver she's got like two thousand jumps um she was still into it a lot at the time and it was good for her to be able to yeah i mean plus man we were in chicago like julie like i could walk down right now and be like julie we're <laughs> We're moving to uh, New Zealand. She'd be like, cool, let's go. <laughs> you know, like spend, you spend a springtime in Chicago. You're ready to get out. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, I can, I can definitely imagine that. Well, so she jumps. I know she jumps cause I've actually made some skydives with her. They were far from stellar cause I'm, I'm a, I'm a um, reformed fun jumper. I just d- discovered that you can actually just jump out of airplanes for fun. Um, yeah. <laughs> which is fucking amazing. I mean, yeah, it's, it's- it, it's it was an incredible revelation when I went. Oh wait a second! I don't have to strap somebody to me, and I don't have to have a camera, and I can just go laugh and make an idiot out of myself. Cool. It only took me eleven thousand jumps to figure that out. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so I got to do that, and I did a few jumps with her like that. But both your kids um, started flying in the tunnel when you were out there as well, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. They started uh, super young age. So there's a video uh, that I saw that was my first introduction to. Um, true humility <laughs> and true <laughs> it definitely put my ego in check and it was uh um it was on vimeo that i saw it and it's titled nine isn't it yeah yeah that's uh kaylee's uh yeah that her, is uh, the most ridiculously awesome video but i i have to admit Thank you. that never in my life did i think that as a grown man i would be jealous of a nine-year-old girl <laughs> but that's kind of what that video did. Um, and there's one part that is my favorite, and I'm sure it makes you laugh every time you see it, is when she talks about learning new tricks, and then once she's mastered it, she has to do it without her hands, and she kind of giggles. That yeah. is the most <laughs> evil little giggle. <laughs> you just hear it and go, oh, that was there's, there's the twisting of the knife right there. <laughs> that's what it's like. Yeah. <laughs> so they've gone on to just kind of rule the world we i've talked about them on almost every single podcast anytime tunnel tunnel flying comes up i talk about them for sure but they're the current champs aren't they yeah we finally uh got the world championship which was uh very uh man a lot of emotions for sure it was uh a long journey to get there it would have to be well they're they're how old now respectively uh, they, Noah just, Kaylee just turned, so Kaylee's 15, Noah's turning 13 in June. So a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old are the current tunnel world champions. 
Yeah, 12. So Noah's still 12. I think I'm not 100% sure I was actually asking. Um, I, I'm almost positive he's for sure like the youngest FAA champion in the world at 12. So Wow. Um, That's yeah, just, yeah. you got to be bursting at the seams, man. I mean, they're not, not just because it's in the tunnel. I mean, you would be proud of them no matter what accomplishment that was, but it also happens to be your passion. How, what does that feel yeah. like? That's fucking awesome. Yeah, it's insane. Like it's uh it's super cool and to know the work they put in uh you know cuz they're also I don't know like five-time national champion <laughs> Kaylee is and Noah's a four-time uh national champion. Um but yeah, I mean the work they put in and but it's weird as a dad huh? because you don't like uh you never push the medals. You know, you, it was always just about the hard work. Sure. And so like but it's uh very very vindicating or uh relieving to because i i gotta like you know as so we we had some tough losses mm. the past two years like some where maybe we didn't feel like uh we deserved to lose and it's really hard it, it starts to flip man like it, it really does because then you're like man are the kids you know they've always done well like on the national level mm. which is like insane you know like some people's just goal alone would be to win nationals sure. you know like so it's insane achievement right there but then like as it starts to you know like you take a really tough loss and then you take another one one is just like completely our fault you know where it's just like we just got beat like those are easy losses sure. to take um other losses maybe are harder to take and then you're like man they lost three big comps that were tough to swallow and then you're you kind of second guess yourself like man is is my 12 year old just gonna know like these crushing defeats, you know, right. like, is this teaching him, you know, like that hard work pays off, <laughs> you know, right. that he's just, he's just getting his heart broken, you know, on a world level. So then, uh, I mean, just the fact that, and then that all flips when they win it, yeah. the, the world championship, you know? So it's like, it's like a sigh of relief and you're like, whoo, hard work did pay off, sure. <laughs> you know, but for a while there, you know, you start to, you know, guess if you are doing the right thing. Cause you, you just watch the kids working so hard. Of course. Yeah. But uh, I mean, obviously if they had that passion for it, that's what's pushing them forward. I mean, a parent's wanting them to do something only gets them so far. Um, but a kid's not going to push that hard unless they really want it. And clearly they had to want it. I mean, yeah. The amount of work yeah. that that went into it, and I've watched, I've been able to sit and watch them fly in person a few times, and of course my jaw's on the floor. Um, but uh, to know how much time and how much effort they had to put into it, it's just astounding uh, that they put that much passion into it. It's fantastic. Thank you, and uh, yeah, it's cool. You know, the other thing that was cool is that uh, you watch, like Noah got hungrier as you know, the past couple of years, it's, it is kind of cool to watch them take over from, you know, like this was actually the first year that, uh, they trained for a month by themselves. Uh, because I stayed in France speed riding. I was like, I was getting, you know, I got, I was getting burnt. Sure. <laughs> sure. Know, like, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a lot of work between the three of, and my wife, uh, with the four of us, you know, and, uh, you know, I made the decision like, okay, well, we're just going to, you know, do it online. And I'm, you know, because I would have been miserable if I flew home for a month and a half just to coach my kids. Sure. That kind of goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning. So I, uh, yeah, I stayed in France speed road and then they would send me videos every night and, uh, I would debrief them, make notes and send them back during the time change. 
and but it was really cool how motivated they were on their own that is to, so, so fucking you know. cool man <laughs> and it i mean it, it all kind of fit you know like like winning worlds like i don't know there's just weird stuff that kind of happened where i was like man this i think that you know this could be i think this is the one they're gonna win you know wow. so it was uh it was cool to to watch them kind of like have to train on their own have to you know really you know bring the video cameras like set up debrief at night you know not have me to say like hey you have to do this sure, you know not the soccer dad thing going on they're doing it on their own yeah, yeah, that's really, sure. really cool. So when the competition was over, was it a sigh of relief and okay, cool, now we can just kind of kick back, or or was it uh, all right? What are we going to destroy next? Uh, they're definitely hungry to keep going. That's uh, awesome. Like really hungry. We'd taken uh, actually, me and Noah were flying yesterday. Uh, we actually flew the last two days. Uh, so we we wanted to. I re- man, we had been going. I mean, I remember last March we were in Japan and we felt burnt then like we we had pushed for like a year and a half and i remember in japan feeling burnt and then we went and did like a competition in you know virginia beach a competition in spain a competition in bahrain <laughs> and then back to spain back to virginia beach we did like seven other comps and i you know and i remember like the year and a half before being burnt like man this is a lot so we're taking like uh we're gonna start training really quick actually, but uh we took the past month and a half off and the kids are just being kids and I'm doing some business stuff and it's been a nice break. But uh we're still like I said, like yesterday Noah sent me a text at school. He's like, You wanna go fly? And I was like, Yeah, let's go fly. <laughs> so awesome. Well, I remember one of the things that struck me uh, as being really cool in the the um, the nine uh, little mini uh, documentary with Kaylee and and uh, her younger teammates uh, wasn't even the flying; it was the the breaks that they would take and just go be kids and have fun uh, and be doing this amazing stuff. And it also um, was pretty inspiring in that it broke down any of the social bullshit, um, which you and I know from years and years of skydiving. At the end of the day, a skydiver isn't French or American. Or or Russian or whatever. It's just a fucking skydiver. Um, yeah. And it's the same thing uh, on that international level in the tunnel circuit now because the tunnels, I mean, there used to only be a couple, but now they're everywhere. I mean, the list of places you just named off is fucking epic. And these kids are going to get to, they're getting to go compete all around the world with people from everywhere. That's just awesome. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And they're super tight. We were just uh, sending Elliot a message yesterday. Like we're super tight with the French guys, like, uh, get all the French teams. Like it's, uh, they're really like, I mean, they've been competing against each other for a long time. And it's, uh, it's just awesome to kind of watch the kids play with their different friends, older, some older, some younger, you know, like they definitely have a nice, well-rounded, uh, how has that been too for them uh, um, uh, growing up the way that they have? Because uh, a lot of the drop zone kids I know tend to be very, um, I want to say not just very worldly, but very mature because they hang out, spend so much time with adults that are just running around being big kids, but they still are around older people a lot of the time. Uh, Are you finding that that's the case with them as well? Yeah. I mean, they definitely know how to handle themselves around adults. uh, Super easy you know, like it's uh, super comfortable for them. So they've just been, it's, yeah, they've been around skydiving forever. Huh? Sure. So, well, and it's yeah, such I a mean, community. I mean, the community itself is so welcoming to kids and they're just future people we get to play with. Yeah. 
yeah, it's been good. I mean, that, Noah used to be able to spot my canopy when he was like two, you know, he, like, <laughs> like the actual one as I'd be, you know, flying down. Sure. So now you know, are, they've been, it's just been on the trap zone forever. Are, are either of them, uh, uh, aiming sights towards skydiving once they're old enough? I don't think so. I think Kaylee's Kaylee's been stubborn little teenager. Um, I think she says no just to say no. Uh, me and Noah really pushed to get her speed riding. Um, but, uh, you know, I really don't care. I really actually probably prefer if they don't. Hmm. Um, like, A, I don't want to teach them. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I, I want to, you know, but then I, I – feel i i would probably at least go out for some of it sure uh but uh yeah if they do it on their own great if uh i think Noah, i mean noah does noah speed riding is like the tunnel flying for canopy sure and it in in like for sure it is because you're just it has that proximity and when, when you think about the hours he has under a wing i mean he literally probably has the experience of somebody with like seven thousand jumps yeah under canopy you know so there's just, but the, you know, he's way too young with, uh, you know, there's that whole pull time sure. in skydiving that, uh, I mean, there's no way I would let him till, uh, if he really pushed my arm and we, like, if he really wanted to at 16, I, I'm sure we could make it happen, sure. but, uh, I don't care. Well, now, I really don't. With the speed flying and stuff, I remember when, when you and I were talking about setting up this podcast, uh, I think you were still in France and he was speed riding with you and you, uh, you sent me a message that he had just done his first barrel roll. Yeah. So yeah, part of me was like, that's the coolest fucking thing ever. But then the dad part of me was like, that's insane that yeah. he just did a barrel roll. How do, That's got to be kind of tough for you because at the end of the day, your passion still has a fair amount of danger involved in it. Yeah, he's, uh, he's definitely learning. Be, anything I would teach a student. Like, for example, I, we ha I had a student over the winter uh, that came out and he experienced swooper, skydiver, um, a couple of them, different ones. And, you know, like I normally with a student say, do, you know, I want you to do 25 360s, you know, until they're right. Sure. Like with Noah, he did 350. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like everything is times 10 when it comes to uh, the danger. Like it's first – he he's had the most safe progression. I think I can honestly say nobody's had a safer progression. And even when he's ready for something, I still hold back. Like <laughs> some of the stuff he's been doing, like he was ready for a year ago, sure. but I still just say, Nope. You know what? I set a very calm set of goals and speed riding's a weird sport, man. It's, it's mentally, you have to be mentally stubborn on your rule set. Yeah. Um, I've, I feel like it's different than anything else uh, because it's just mental. You have to you have to have a set of rules and you have to stick with them. And as soon as you break those rules, and it's real common to break them, like the mock tune team, like myself included, I've broken rules and always gotten my own rules, sure. you know, my own set of safe rules. But with Noah, we just don't budge, and he doesn't either. Like he he will bring up, you know, he'll bring up uh you know a rule set and be like nah dad it's this we're going against what we said we were going to do See, that's and cool. then he'll yeah he's really he's really switched on like with the safety he's not aggressive um 
Well, and I suppose and he's afraid of it. I suppose he uh, um, maybe even inadvertently learned lessons along the way. You've been in skydiving a long time, and and as you and I know, people unfortunately don't always, uh, you know. Uh, they're not always quite so lucky in our sport, and we've both had uh, people very close to us uh, that haven't survived it. Um, and that's a tough lesson to learn, but even as a kid, I, some of that's got to trickle through to him and that, okay, yeah, what I'm doing definitely has its risks, you know, especially when he knows what that loss looks like, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He 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 under he gets it, you know. He's, he's switched on, and he's uh, tentative and, you know, and it's made him a really good speed. He's really good. Like he's just, he's just as good at speed riding as he is at tunnel. Um, oh, Jesus, that's yeah, a hell yeah. of a statement, man. Fuck. Yeah. He's, uh, he's really good, man. He's, he's fun to, and he's fun. Like it's uh really, man, it's, it's, it's I can't as, as a dad, like when you're up on some of these, like there's this run in Bombao that's like 4,000 meters and like when you're sitting there, I think the first time we did it was two years ago. So he was 11 at the time and like just sitting on top of that valley, like knowing you're going to go fly that with your son is like insane. Oh, it's like, got to be absolutely incredible. I can't even imagine. I mean, I've I've uh, flown the plane for one of my daughter's tandems and I jumped with her on the other one. And so I have a small dose of what that's like to see her, you know, in the world that I embraced so long ago. And that's fantastic. But to be able to do this, I mean, fucking hell, that's super cool. But now, yeah, yeah. what does Julie think of it all? Does she speed fly? Um, no, she doesn't. We've actually talked about, uh, she's not the strong, she's content, like being in the Alps skiing, snow, she snowboards, she skis. Um, but via like dead honest, like Kaylee skis and she's been, so she's, you know, been skiing in this French Alps for six years now, you know, and she's a ripper. Like she's a really good skier. Like she skis to the point where like, I'm like, Kaylee, slow down. I feel, I more I feel more nervous about Kaylee skiing than Noah speed riding. Like I, I really want to get Kaylee speed riding because I think it's safer wow. than at, at the speeds she's skiing at. I'm just I get when I follow her, I'm way more nervous than if I'm following Noah down. Just because if you make the right calls and you do it on the right days on the right right mountain and you're strict about the backcountry, it really is safer than skiing or snowboarding yeah um, yeah I, mean, I i can see that i can see that for sure all the mistakes happen when you make the bad call before you take off you know like it's just like it's just what happens so we're ch i'm trying to get scaly and kaylee in there just because uh it's like thinking about her skiing all day is more nerve-wracking than uh thinking about noah speed riding sure but she's pushing back on on what dad wants for a while yeah, she doesn't want to. Yeah, like, she, <laughs> do you think she really wants to, but she just doesn't want to because dad keeps pushing it? I think right now she's staked her claim of I'm not doing it, and now she's just being stubborn. Ah. But uh, yeah, you should see me and Noah. We try to bribe her with ice cream, with uh, crepes, with uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> all sorts of different stuff, and she's like, "Nope, nope." That is fucking awesome. That is definitely not your standard family dynamic. Oh come on, <laughs> fly the parachute down the mountain. Don't go skiing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so what does the extended family think of all this uh grandparents and and cousins and all this do they think you guys are nuts or are they super behind it all uh they're super behind it all like i mean i mean you know they with the speed riding thing i think you know noah's been doing it for five years now huh um with never one injury um 
you know, like, so, I mean, the, he's been hurt in the winter every time, but it's always when he's on a snowboard. Um, Fucking things are so, dangerous. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, I mean, they're behind it. They obviously are a little nervous about the speed riding, but it, you know, now that we're kind of through that, um, I don't, I don't think people realize how, how much safety, like, like perfect example, like you could start speed riding for, you know, like you don't need to kite or anything like that, even though it helps. Like we had Noah on a sand dune for three years mm. kiting with that canopy. Like he knew how to kite backwards, forward, how to put the wing tip down. Like he'd, he, like he'd literally like go fly in the in-flight Dubai tunnel and then Kaylee would start homework and I'd take him out on a dune and uh, we'd spend 45 minutes, like five days a week for two years under a canopy. Yeah, I remember seeing uh, pictures. Yeah, so I mean, it's uh, it's a long prog- process, you know. Well, but I mean, that's what's keeping it so safe as well. I mean, uh, we've talked about uh, safety and skydiving as well, and and uh, you try and explain to people that no, the majority of skydivers are a ridiculously safety oriented group of people, and the only reason that skydiving ever seems to make it in the news anymore is because some jackass did something stupid and hooked himself into a beer truck or something along those lines. Otherwise, nobody hears you don't hear about skydiving anymore because it's just it, it's almost passe. It's so safe anymore um yeah and that's because we put so much into it because we know the price you pay if you don't uh so right. that's a great lesson to pass on to a you know 12 or 13 year old that's learning how to speed fly his ass off yeah and i still think skydiving's like i'm way more concerned about skydiving and i think skydiving's super safe huh? um but like skydiving is for sure i feel more dangerous than speed riding mm. uh as long as you're under the right tutelage of sure. uh, the problem is it's just it's not governed. Huh? It's just uh, yeah. I mean, you, anybody can walk out there and go. So you see those same mistakes happen like back back in the day when when everybody started swooping and pounding in. Oh, yeah. And, it, you know, and now, like, you don't see that as much because you got flight one guys and you got, you know, people teaching the, the procedures in check. Sure. You know, uh, skydiving to me is like if something goes really wrong you're only going to have a second or two to sort that out. Yeah. Right. Oh, like, yeah. you know, like when the deaths happen, it's, it's usually really sudden and unplanned with, with speed riding. I feel like you can plan everything, um, before you launch, like you can like, look at the weather. If it's not good, you don't go, you know, like, sure. you know, that you can, your canopy is going to inflate. Uh, it's going to inflate before you fly. Sure. If you, if you screw up your takeoff and it's not good, you just stop sure. on your skis. You know, so there's a there's a lot of different checks that you can do to keep it safe. Sure. Whereas uh, with base and um, skydiving, sometimes, hey man, sometimes you can be as safe as possible, and it's just going to go oh, bad. Oh yeah, no, true. Skydiving is a sport where you can absolutely do everything right and still die. Yeah, it absolutely can happen. And people have asked me before um, what my opinion would be about my daughter becoming a skydiver, and it's always a um, mixed emotions when I'm asked that question because I've had such a great life in the sport and taken so much enjoyment and passion out of it. I would never want to deny her um, being able to do these things if she wanted to. But part of me, the dad part of me is like, oh, I don't, you know, shit, that's kind of sketchy. I don't know if I'd want my daughter doing something dangerous like that. And then the other part of it is I don't want my daughter on a drop zone. Cause I know what <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. You don't want your daughter at the bonfire. Fuck no exactly. man. Fuck yeah. no. I've said it before and I'll say it again. When they asked me before she had made that first jump, I'm like, I'm totally cool with her making a skydive as long as she doesn't have to go to a fucking drop zone to do it. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, that was the only thing about Dubai where I actually thought that um, my kids, I could see my kids in skydiving because it's just so, you know, it's not like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Dubai is like, you can, you can have your kid at the drop zone all night long and they wind up, you know, going on ATVs or something like that, you know? So that was the one place where exactly, but yeah, people ask, uh, you know, like, is Kaylee going to... Scott Abbott, I'm like, hey, man, I don't need my daughter to have a cocaine problem and right. <laughs> multiple sexual partners right. by the time she's, you know, like, it's it's okay if she doesn't. Exactly. You know? there's, there's some bad parts of Scott Abbott that are fun when you're in your, you know, like there's uh, not knocking them by any any means. But yeah, as a father of a daughter, it's not really, oh, you yeah, don't want to no, just no. settle free on a drop zone. No, no, no. The 25, 30 year old me loved what was going on in skydiving. The <laughs> yeah. almost 50 year old in me wants my daughter to have not a fucking thing to do with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I had a chance to talk to uh, Melissa Nelson and uh, um, she had a, a vastly different experience growing up in skydiving than a lot of women do because everybody knew who her dad was. And she told me flat out, she's like, yeah, nobody fucked around with me because everybody knew the wrath of God was going to come down on onto their head if they fucked around with me. So she had a slightly different experience. But most women, it's a little bit different on the drop zone if you're just starting out because every, you know, 25, 30-year-old guy out there sees a new pretty girl walk on the drop zone and all they're thinking is fresh meat. Yeah. And it's also tough on the women too, huh? Because like if they're not – uh tutor i mean it's just exciting right like it's exciting like it's exciting for any person huh? so then and then you go and there's all these interesting skydive guys that are you know young guys and traveled the world so like it's uh i mean it's a combination that happens all the, it's not uh it happens all the time oh, right? of course like it, it does just, i'll never forget so it's, uh, uh, being at, at cross keys and and uh, i was pretty well into the sport by then and it was i think my second almost third year at cross keys and and this cute girl had started hanging around at the drop zone and uh um she was talking to a group of people and after a couple of drinks just blurted out yeah i just want to fuck a skydiver <laughs> and, yeah. And I remember looking at her going, well, you're, you're in the right place for that. Yeah. You're in the right place. <laughs> it's not going to take you long. You know, welcome to cross yeah. keys. There's fucking trailers everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> that is the thing is, is the, the big tie to, to skydiving or base jumping or now tunnel flying, I suppose, is the community is super tight, but it also comes with its own little, it's its own little world. Uh, and uh, what passes for okay on a drop zone is not necessarily okay in the rest of the world. Do you think it's still, I gotta, you know, do you think, I was actually, cause I, I was having the same conversation with somebody out in, uh, I, I, from California or something. And I forget who it was, but he was, a, some, I mean, hadn't been as uh, around as long as you and I have. And he was like, well, I don't really feel it's like that anymore. And I, I wonder if, uh, what's your thought on that? Like, I don't know if, that was a time and place where pe I'm, I know what the big drop zones it is. Cause there's just that many people around, but like, you know, somebody had said like, maybe it was Oceanside or something where it's like, yeah, it's not really like that. You know, it's, uh, you know, the whole, I don't know the whole male female dynamic. No. Well, just the whole like party and the way we used to party. Oh no. <laughs> you know, like, uh, I think it's, I don't know. I think it's still out there. I just don't think it's as, uh, uh, every day as it was. Um, I mean, back in cross keys, the biggest party time I had in the sport, uh, Tuesday was a good reason to get super fucked up. 
you know, it didn't have to be a special occasion. It didn't have to be New Year or Halloween or any of those crazy times. Uh, but I still think the the big events, and you say boogie, and you know damn well exactly what's going to happen oh, yeah, at that for party. Sure. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, I don't know that it's still quite that crazy, but uh, I think the the raging party still, man, uh, some of the wildest times ever have been at drop zones, and I don't think that's going to change. I think it just, yeah. uh, I think that's just inherently part of um, a group of people that are so passionate about doing something like what we do. And like you said earlier, skydiving is a super exciting sport, and I mean, it just gets everybody's, you know, gets everybody's blood up. And when the day is done and the sun's gone down and that blood is still raging there's not that many things to do <laughs> yeah you know so a lot of that happens i don't think that's going to change yeah yeah for sure i mean i i as i get older obviously that's about the time when i see that kind of stuff going on is when i split from the bonfire if i even go to the bonfire um i'm yeah i'm happy to miss all of that um, yeah, you know, that part of it, um, used to be a huge draw and the community is still a huge draw. I mean, skydivers are my family. They have been for 25 years now or almost 25 years. Um, but, uh, that part of it, I- I'm, I'm good without. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and you married with two kids. I can't imagine you'd want the craziness. Oh, not at all. Yeah. I always have hiding spots. They usually, sometimes they find me, but, uh, like if I'm working an event, I usually like, Hey, you got to have a room that you could lock the door. That's the first key locking the door. Right. Sometimes you just got to re- resort to hiding. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Well, I mean, all the drop zones used to have the rule. If you fall asleep with your shoes on then all bets are off that kind of stuff. And, um, yeah, I can do without that anymore. Um, yeah. at the end of the party, I need to be in my own bed. Yeah. Well, so um, we know the kids are still hungry and, and ready to compete and, and continue taking over the world. What's next for you? Um, I'm just really into speed riding right now. Like uh, I enjoy skydiving quite a bit um, because I'm doing it less. Uh, but I really, uh, you know, I'm more like I can't wait to go back to France. And I've just been back from France <laughs> two months ago. Um, so I didn't think I would be this like it's it's still like the progression is still there. I'm still chasing some goals. I've checked off a whole bunch of them, uh, but there's still a couple of things I want to like continue to learn. And I'm now I'm battling the uh, you know the mental uh, dilemma: should a 43 year old be trying <laughs> you know flatland barrel rolls or whatever? Like you know like so it's a constant struggle of like when are you going to back off but I'm I'm not there yet so and it's nice it's just for myself I don't have to speed red and super small like there's no I mean there's competitions but uh you're definitely just doing it for yourself sure. so and then I enjoy flying like you know like just and that's the cool thing about since I left Dubai is like I can scratch that itch 12 minutes from my house and then all winter I scratch the itch uh which is definitely my main passion right now is speed flying and you know, and then I still am able to skydive like two, 300 jumps if I want to, Sure. uh, through, you know, I booked some events or boogies and I think I'm going to Canada and some other places this, this, uh, year. And it, it's just enough. It's enough to, uh, you know, do the jumps when I want to do the jumps and, uh, you know, how far uh, down the road do you think it is before, uh, um, you're showing up at tunnels and it's not you what they want to talk to, but your kids. Oh, that's uh, that's that was uh, that road has been turned two years ago. That's fucking yeah. awesome. <laughs> you know, for, for, 43 ain't 23. You know, like 
And that's the cool thing about tunnel, though. It's a sport, man. Like, oh, yeah. I got to be honest. Like, it, it, is it a sport? If, if I'm 43 and I could still be winning stuff, maybe it's not a sport. You know what I mean? Maybe right. maybe it's not, you know, like, I mean, it, the kids doing it are super young and su- like not as young as Kaylee. And I mean, there are people as young as Kaylee and know it. But I mean, you're looking at like a 20, 25 year old, 28 year old guys sure. that are like full grown, you know, athletes and it, it, it you know i don't have you know i'm 43 man i you know i shouldn't be able to beat those people sure yeah no no <laughs> you i know, like, agree but it's uh it's uh and it's great for me like it's it's uh i mean it's just been awesome like you always want your kids to do better than you I, at least that's my always my thing like i've always wanted to like like i i don't know if you think of your family name or not, not that i have like some huge like well, i guess i have you know you just want the next generation to do better sure. than you of your kids yeah and uh so i i've i've always felt they were better like even in dubai i was because i would watch them you know try doubles and triples flip twists and stuff and like as our team like we would struggle with it and they would do it but you know their flying wasn't there yet so it's it's cool to yeah like there's no doubts uh, Noah was just teaching me I was just in the tunnel yesterday. Like, how are you doing that? <laughs> He's like trying to teach me from the class. That's fucking awesome. Well, you know, yeah. I think the other thing too, especially starting so young, is they don't have the fear ingrained in them that us old fuckers do. Because I go in the tunnel to try and learn something new, and I know already how much it's going to hurt when I slam into the wall. Because um, I know I'm going to slam into the wall. Uh, there's no doubt about it. I'm not that good. Um, and learning and the learning portion of it is really fun, but I'm held back by that that fear and that trepidation that I have as an adult where the kids get in there and just start hucking shit because they don't know they shouldn't be able to do it, so they just do it, Yeah, which is amazing. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's cool. And we've also found that, you know, that's actually because Kaylee and Noah have been coaching now, and we I, I've seen it from uh, – like watching them interact with other kids like the coaching goes kind of like through the roof when they're working with a young kid because the the young like student like looks at the kid and says oh that kid can do it and they don't know anything about you know the time it took or whatever but if it's if it's like tangible and it's like another 12 year old is doing it they're like the little 12 year old thinks they can do it you know and then their progression goes through the roof. Oh, yeah. So yeah, that's cool too. There's a lot to um, be said for not knowing you shouldn't be able to do something. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Right? <laughs> I didn't know I shouldn't be able to do that. So I just fucking did it, which is absolutely fantastic. So, yeah. <laughs> so they're coaching now as well. Oh man. See, I, I would be totally down to be coached by either of them, but I don't know if the adult me could get past the shame involved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's weird. Coaching's a, a whole different demon. And like, uh, there's, I mean, realistically, like, man, the whole project's a lot of work on. Huh? Like, mm. I mean, for the past, th- for the past three years, we've been teaching them how to coach. Like it's not, and it's just now, like I'm still the, you know, because it doesn't matter how badass you are if you're not good at, you know, there's always like good coaches. Like I've always said, there's not one good coach whatsoever. It's, it's how you relate to your student sure. and you, you, you can take two world-class coaches and one student could just gravitate to that style and that's okay. You know, as a coach, you should never feel like you're the best coach because that's just not true. It's it's personalities you're trying to mix up with other students. And some may like, you know, you take the – you got to be a good coach first, but then somebody just may relate better to, you know, one of the 
many good coaching styles. Oh, yeah, yeah, I knew that from being an AFF instructor long ago. That some At students first, I just gel with, and others uh, were going to gel better with, you know, one of my coworkers. Uh, and it right. just boiled down to me being able to associate better with one person or another. And neither me or my associate were better AFF instructors than the other. We just worked better with specific students. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I mean, they have to learn that, you know, and they, but they've been doing it for the past three years, you know, like, you know, like three years we've been working with students and, and we take it just as seriously as uh, we take, you know, the training for the championships, you know, like we'll sit there and debrief their coaching sure. and de debrief my coaching and also get feedback. And it's also interesting too, because some students, like we do a, a lot of work with kids, we do work with adults, some people like, you know, will be sometimes the kids will be like i'm afraid of mike <laughs> you know he's so big that, that was a you know like i want to work with kaylee you know and then you know some sometimes it's vice versa you sure. know like so it's it's interesting to see how that uh that whole dynamic plays out but it's also cool because there's definitely between me kaylee and noah there's three completely different coaching styles they're gonna find so the right style uh, yeah yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you can easily just move them around. It's got to be interesting, too, to watch uh, their progression as they coach more because the more you teach, the better you become yourself. Um, uh, I learned that, especially when I started doing AFF or um, teaching somebody how to fly a new plane. My skills would improve because I would have to mentally break down exactly what I was doing in order to impart that information to someone else. So you've got to see some changes in their flying as well, don't you? Absolutely. 100%. And that's why we started it early, you know, because you're not going to be a, at a world class level unless, you know, the coaching just breathe and it also slows things down. Whereas when the kids are training, they maybe don't have time to work on their, like maybe a style point that they struggle with. But then when they're working with a student, they are teaching those fundamentals and then they can go back and correct that. Sure. And uh, I could agree with that, that statement more. And that's part of the, you know, like, I think where they've really taken off is, yeah, I want you. And the same thing happened with me, you know, like when I, you know, I had speed road for like four or five years. And I remember teaching Noah and Kaylee how to kite made me hands down a better kiter. Oh, sure. You know, just, you know, like, so it's, it couldn't be more true. It's, well, so, I found that out uh, the first time that I was teaching a friend of mine how to fly a different type of aircraft and having to break down the process of what I was doing in which stage of flight and, and what flows I was using and just the little nuances that I didn't think about because I learned it over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of repetition. I now had to figure out how to tell someone, oh, this is what I do here. And then it dawned on me, fuck, I never actually thought about that. I just did it. Uh, so yeah. it was really, really cool, and it definitely made me a more observant uh, pilot. Um, so it's got to do the same for their flying, which is fucking cool. Yeah, it's been super good with that. It's been, uh, yeah, really enjoyable as well. So we do a bunch of kid camps, and the kids are working on a four-way team wow. uh, that they're going to do a player-coach team of just ripper kids anyway. So it's <laughs> it's fun and yeah, it's going to be good. Where do you see uh, the tunnel going in the future? I mean, I, down the road, I can't imagine it's going to not end up in the Olympics. It's going to have to. Uh, I know it didn't this time around, uh, but where do you where do you see it long term? Uh, I don't know. You know, there's some. You know, iFly's putting. Uh, they got a whole new uh, team in place, and I I believe in them quite a bit. And uh, I think that they've you know some of the ideas they've expressed are are really cool. You know, like thinking, you know 
I think the competitions are going to be really cool. This, to this day, they're the most competitive things. Like if you compare them to, you know, Scott or, you know, to this day, like every year there's, it seems like every year or two, there's like a hundred thousand dollar purse, mm. uh, for the past eight years. Wow. Um, so, I mean, it's going in the right direction. Not that money makes it, but it just seems like there's more, you know, like there's never been a hundred that well, aside from in Dubai, you sure. know, like there's not normally like hundred thousand dollar you know, skydive competitions. So I think that it's moving in the right direction. Yeah. It's a lot. It's nice because tunnels are in nice spots. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> That's the one thing I like about tunnels. Like you go to a, like how many times have you been to like a world, you know, you're like, Oh sweet. We're going to uh, Brazil for a world championship, you know? And you're like an hour outside of the cool cities, right. like in a farm field, right? right. Every skydive competition, Every skydive competition is like that, right? You're just like an hour away from you're like, oh, we're going to Russia, but like you're in a cornfield. Right. And uh, at least tunnels are really cool because they're in places that are really cool. Well, and they're yeah. sprouting up <laughs> you know? absolutely everywhere. Every time I turn around, there's a new tunnel somewhere. When I was talking to uh, to Kubiak, he was like, dude, I don't even know how many fucking tunnels there are anymore. And he's like, they're, they're, the performance is getting more and more and more. He told me he went to fly Japan, and he's like, the Japan tunnel fucking scared me because I'd be flying on my head, and they got this thing maxed out, and if I would just inhale, I'd start going up. He's like, it's fucking crazy how fast these tunnels are. So as the, the flying progresses, the, the tunnels themselves are even still progressing, which is crazy. Yeah, and they're getting bit. You know, there's so many, like, 18 footers and right. like, man, when at France there, you could like draw a circle. And I think there's like eight tunnels in the area <laughs> of like an hour and a half drive. And they're all big ones too. Like, you know, it's cool. Well, and super cool to watch. He was talking, uh, Ray was talking about uh, one of the things that he's really pushing for. Um, obviously it's a very expensive thing to do. So the average soccer mom or soccer dad going out and being able to, to fly their kids in a tunnel to the point where they're going to get not just competent, but at a competition level is very difficult for a lot of people to do. And he was talking about different ways to try and make it more affordable for the more average family that whose kid decides they fell in love with that and finding ways to split time with groups and do all that kind of stuff. So I hope to see it going that direction as well. So it's a little bit more welcoming on the, the wallet for, for moms and dads. Yeah, for sure. You got to get it, you know, you got to get them to that point where they're, it's almost like going through AFF, right? Like you have to spend or getting into skydiving. You have to go through AFF, you have to buy gear. Yep. And then after that, it's 25 bucks a jump. Yeah. Which is whatever. Once you, you get know, there, once you get through the tunnel checkoffs and you can fly with four people, you know, you can do a dynamic four way team and you're splitting it four ways and then it's really cheap. It's just, you got to get there. Yeah. And that takes, the same investment as buying a rig, you know, it's almost like you got a 15 grand up front and then, you know, which is a lot, dude. It's a lot of money. Yeah, man. Well, what was the old joke uh, back in the day? Skydiving is, uh, um, what, 200 bucks for your first jump and half your income for the rest of your life? Yeah, <laughs> was, <laughs> for sure. Was about right. I mean, unless you start working in the sport, that's about it. But I suppose if you get to the level where uh, um, your kids are, if they want, they've got careers for life in that sport. I mean, you don't win worlds and not be able to write your own ticket. Yeah. I mean, they've, uh, they, they would have some opportunities if they want to continue to, uh, continue to, you know, follow that path. Sure. If they want to, you know, the way I always tell them is like, Hey man, if you like, if you want to go to college, just do it next to a tunnel. Like <laughs> every, everybody else will be like tending bar or something. And you can do like two hours of coaching and, 
have your whole free, you know, like they're definitely have a nice set, you know, to either follow that road or, you know, follow their own path or do whatever really they want to do. So it's, uh, and they see that. Yeah, it's kind of nice at their age to have a skill set in their back pocket that is going to earn them money whenever they choose to go that route. Or you know, always to have it as a fallback. I mean, for most people, it's something like bartender and a washing dishes as a fallback. But you're right, going and coaching for a couple hours in a tunnel at a world-class level, that's a better choice. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Wow, <laughs> Definitely. I'll tell you what, man. I, I can't. Uh, I, I can't. The success that they've had and and the hard work that you guys put in uh, couldn't have happened to a, a nicer family. Uh, you guys have have. Oh, thanks, man. You guys have been going hard for a long, long time now, and I wish you nothing but continued huge success in whichever direction they choose to go. And the speed flying, and hopefully you manage to get Kaylee on a wing. <laughs> yeah <laughs> get her off the mountain um so it, where can people go to follow their exploits to see some of their tunnel routines if you guys got a website up if you got instagram anything like that yeah they both got instagram accounts and uh just kaylee noah wittenberg and then i there's a aspire athletics on facebook that we we try to like put out info on camps and uh the kids club information and stuff like that so uh, the kids are on there. Awesome. It's all good. Awesome. And they can find you flying down the mountain in France. Yeah. There's a uh, U.S. speed ride tours on Facebook that uh, has the information on uh, all the, you know, the, the lessons and everything you can get. If anybody's interested in speed riding, it's, it's something that we do year round in France or I'm sorry, all winter long in France. And then we also like team up with, um, uh, Dave Hubert from Savoba, and uh, we do like an American invasion of uh, speed riders uh, in Val for Juice second week of March, and that's always fun. Oh, and cool. That's been growing quite a bit, so that's been uh, there's more information on that on the website too. Well, it sounds like the adventures and the travel for you are, are not going to be slowing down anytime soon, which is pretty fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, gotta keep it up for a couple more that's years till awesome, the. Man. Till the body totally breaks down. Yeah, yeah. Well, it'll happen eventually, but uh, keep going as long as you can, right? Yeah, for sure. Well, cool. We'll give Julie a big hug for me and a high five to the kids. And Mike, it's been a real pleasure catching up with you. Yeah, man. Thanks. I uh, appreciate it as well. Absolutely. You take care of yourself. Okay. See ya. Well, there you have it. Another episode of the Lunatic Fringe Podcast brought to you as always by, well, wait, not as always, actually, brought to you now by Gyro. Formerly known as NZ Aerosports, you'll head to gyro.com for their next level line of canopies. By Pussfoot, the Extreme Sports Collective. Head over to pussfoot.com to check it out. By Summit Parachute Systems, check out summitparachutesystems.com to talk to Jarrett Martin and the gang about kick-ass pilot rigs, rigging courses, and more. By Flyaway Indoor Skydiving, go to flyawaytn.com and check out all the cutting-edge stuff to come. By Pure Spectrum CBD. Head to PureSpectrumCBD.com to check out their wide range of CBD products. And as for us, head to the LunaticFringePodcast.com to listen to any of the hundreds of episodes currently available. Hit the link for our YouTube channel, pick up your copy of the Lunatic Fringe book or The Accidental Stripper, and get a sneak peek at upcoming guests. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
Damn. <laughs>